Hello there and welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopaedics. Callum Williams alongside Kindra D. St. Aubin. A little later on in the show, we'll be joined by a very special guest indeed, Sean Buckley. A name that some of you may not know, but you should because he's a part of the Minnesota United medical team. Uh, his journey throughout football is incredible. Uh, he spent the majority of his career in Mexico. Um, and during the international break, it, it gives us a good chance to have a chat uh, with somebody you may not be too familiar with. So we'll be doing that a little later on. First and foremost, OK, um, before we talk about uh, the United States men's national team and the upcoming games against Japan and Saudi Arabia, let's just briefly recap Minnesota United's last game, shall we? A, a rather harrowing defeat in Kansas City. What were your takeaways? Honestly, you know, the biggest thing for me when I look back at that match is not just the match in and of itself, but also where the team sits in the standings after that game and, and after that weekend and just knowing what's at stake now in the last two games. I mean, if you thought that the end of the season was going to be pressure packed, I mean, this is a whole nother level of pressure. I think that this team is facing right now. And when I look specifically at the Sporting Kansas City game, I don't think any of us took it lightly. We understand how good Sporting Kansas City can be, even when they don't have their best players. And we understand what Peter Vermees, you know, kind of the system and the style he uh, puts out there in the message he sends to his team, but they were in incredible form. I mean, this was like running into a buzzsaw. You couldn't have played a team in more sort of harrowing form right now, as far as the quality in their play, some of their new guys really clicking, scoring goals, just, um, and then you have some of the guys that are just, you know, steady eddies for them as Daniel Shallowy and Johnny Russell. And they, they were without their starting goalkeeper in Tim Melia and, and without Graham Zusi two of the veterans that we talked about being just staples with the sporting Kansas city side. So to me, I mean, um, this tells you everything you need to know about what sporting Kansas city is going to be next season. Um, if they, you know, all goes according to plan and they don't have any more major injuries, but at the end of the day, I think this is um, a little bit frightening for Minnesota United fans and for the team themselves, they should have confidence that they can go and get the job done and win these last two games. But You've made it awfully difficult for yourself and a little bit, you know, a little bit shaky for me, in my opinion, on how they looked in that game against Sporting Kansas City. Yeah, we said it during the course of the commentary, didn't we? It was very much the Kansas City that we remember, in particular in the wide areas as well, which we spoke about on the previous podcast that we did to, to preview that particular game. Um, the wide areas of particular concern, as it always is against Sporting Kansas City, but before we talk about the wide players and who occupied those areas and the, the fit. Uh, for the game. Um, I thought Eric Tommy, William Agada, uh, the two new arrivals for Kansas City caused all sorts of problems. Um, the stat, I believe, between them since they've arrived and they've played 10 games, I believe between them it's now 10 goals and I think it's four assists or at least a handful of assists. I mean, you talk about two players that have completely changed the course of a season. Now, it's too late for them. They're officially eliminated now. But you're completely right. I think that gave us a wonderful glimpse into what Kansas City, and I'm, and I'm sure there will be an additional two in the offseason, it gave us a glimpse into what Kansas City could be next season. Yeah, and I mean, we talk about Alan Polito and Gadi Kinda being gone for, once again, the majority of this season. If you think about what kind of time they missed last season as well, I mean, Polito came in as this highly touted, what it was, a $9.5 million man, most money they'd ever spent on 
all their players combined, let alone on one guy in a transfer fee. And he's not been able to stay completely healthy for them. And they went out and they got some reinforcements. And fortunately for them, those reinforcements were able to step right in and perform, which is not always the case in this league. And I remember when we talked to, I believe it was Uri Rozelle last week, he was impressed with the way that they had stepped right in and been able to contribute and adapt to this league right away. And I think we saw that firsthand against Minnesota United. And when I say what that Minnesota looked shaky, I don't necessarily mean like the players themselves. It just gives you this feeling now that how will they perform under pressure knowing the two games that are left, knowing what's at stake that you dropped to the sixth position. This is the pressure pack time of the season. And sometimes you say this is what you play for, but at the same time, I don't know if anybody wanted it to be this tight. No, not at all. Um, and I can't imagine anybody thought it would get to this stage either, given Minnesota United's position just five or six games ago. Um, so let's talk about the approach then, because uh, you were of the opinion that perhaps the team should have gone with five at the back in Kansas City. Yeah, I mean, and I, you know, I kind of thought that from the beginning and I understand the wide areas. And if you play with wing backs, you know, you're leaving yourself exposed and, and Kansas City can capitalize on those areas with players like Daniel Shallowy and, and a player like Johnny Russell. But at the end of the day, I still felt like five in the back on the road might give you more cover than four in the back. And I just thought that was asking a lot of Mender Garcia in the 4-3-3 to track back and defend as much as he had to in that first half. He's A, he's not a defender. He's not even a midfielder. You know, so that was asking a lot of him and then asking him to sort of help lead the line with Luis Amaria and Fragapane going forward in those transition moments. I just think that was too much in that moment for him to handle on both sides of the ball. So if you had started with five in the back and of course, you know, hindsight's 2020 for sure. But I think that, you know, even if Benitez and DJ Taylor, if they were the outside backs, if that's the formation they had gone with, um, if they were the wing backs would have been mindful enough to at least cover the wider, let's say even Benitez got caught up a little bit farther on the right-hand side as a wing back, at least he's kind of covering the midfield space then as a tracking back wing back as opposed to that was like a gaping hole in the wide areas with Mender Garcia way up high DJ Taylor way dropped deep because of the way that you know Sporting Kansas City was playing so I mean yeah hindsight's 2020 but I just felt like um you know it, it it worked really well in Portland I know it's a different opponent I know they don't play exactly the same way but I think there was a comfort level there with how well they played in that 5-3-2 and a confidence in how they played in that 5-3-2. And you could have tucked Fragapane in as more of your third midfielder um, when you knew you were missing Robin Lewis for the game. But at the end of the day, um, Kansas City capitalized on their opportunities. Minnesota looked much better in the second half, even though they didn't change shape. And they looked like they played a, with a little bit of confidence. They get one goal, probably could have had two or three more. And what a difference that would have made if some of those had been put, put away. Yeah, especially when it was uh, 3-1 and Minnesota had the chance cleared off the line by Ben Sweat. That's a completely different game then. But look, uh, the game swung a certain way and Minnesota United lost by four goals to one. Um, and now what it does, Kay, as we've mentioned, is it, it puts them in not exactly a precarious position, but it, it puts them in a very similar position to a lot of other teams, which wasn't the case several weeks ago. Well, it's, it, it's interesting because really, it, at this point in the season, when you're sitting in sixth, it's all about perspective. If you had been climbing and you found yourself in sixth, then you're thinking, man, yes, it, we don't, you know, we still have to win these last two games. 
well, we're feeling good. We're on a run. We're climbing up the table here. We've put ourselves in the playoff position. You have a completely different mental, emotional outlook on this. But because of the form that you're going into these last two games with, and you have to basically win the last two games. And I know that's not mathematically the way it has to be, but let's just say like mentally and emotionally, you're in such a different spot now and sick, knowing that you had held fourth, let alone third for a little bit of time. So I just think precarious in my mind, just because of the way you're approaching these last two games, where you're going into it. I still think Minnesota United is going to find themselves in the postseason, but this last on Monday at, at training was the first time I had heard Adrian Heath say, this is where we're at right now. You know, if we win two games, we might get a home field, but to be honest, let's, let's focus a little bit more on winning these two games and getting some results and getting into the postseason, knowing that that line now is very much sort of in play. And, and with the current form, I do think this break comes at a fantastic time for the group mentally, emotionally, physically, you know, get everybody kind of right, give everybody a breather. It's been a tough stretch as of late, not just because of the results, but just purely because of the schedule. Just finally, before we head to break then, Kate, um, if I offered you three points in the next two games, would you take it? Honestly, I think they need at least four. I really do. Really? I think they need at least four points. And this is just, I, I have not done math. Math is not my strong suit. But I think to feel good about it, I think they need a, a a win and a draw. I mean, I would love to say they're going to get a win at San Jose because uh, San Jose is clearly eliminated. They haven't been great. Um, they still have some dangerous pieces on their roster. And, and for some reason, San Jose oftentimes seems to be a difficult place for Minnesota United to play. They've gotten a couple of victories or, you know, a couple good results there. And then Vancouver at home. I know Vancouver sits in ninth right now, but there's something about Vanny Sartini and that crazy energy that just mm-hmm. makes it me feel like decision day is going to be the real deal. So if you don't get three at San Jose, you sure as heck need three at home. So if you could at least get a draw um, at San Jose, I do think four points is going to be what they need to find a way to get, whether wherever that comes. But I hope that it's a fantastic game on October 9th for our fans heading into the postseason, knowing that we've clinched, uh, maybe not hosting a home playoff game, but at least that we're there heading into the yeah. October 9th game. Yeah, let's uh, let's wait and see, shall we? Two games remaining for Minnesota United, and uh, you get the feeling that, as you mentioned, decision day really is going to be a decisive day for Minnesota United. Okay, we'll take a break. Uh, next up, we'll hear from Sean Buckley of Minnesota United. injury takes you out of the game it's time for your team to step up at Alina Health Orthopedics you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers with convenient locations virtual options and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records test results and care team you're always close to the care that you need schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho Welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopedics. Now then, with the international break claiming world football headlines this week, we thought we'd go all international on the podcast, really. Joining us today, uh, a very special guest indeed. As we mentioned a little earlier on, Sean Buckley, uh, 
a name perhaps some of you not too familiar with, but you really should. Sean, now head of sports science at Minnesota United, has an extensive resume full of international adventure and escapade. And he joins us now to talk us through it, as well as give his insight on the day-to-day -day life of training up at Blaine at Minnesota United. Uh, Sean, welcome to the pod. How are you? Fantastic. Appreciate, uh, appreciate the invitation and uh, happy to talk to you guys in a little different setting. I, I speak to you guys quite frequently on the trips and uh, on the training uh, training ground, but uh, this, is, uh, this is cool. I'm trying to get you on the podcast for some time now, but such is life and schedules and all that kind yes. of stuff. We, we finally get you on in late September. So, <laughs> so a couple of questions and before we sort of do a deep dive into your career. First and yeah. foremost, if you wouldn't mind explaining to the listener, we, we mentioned your title is head of sports science. What exactly does that mean? Well, I sort of take it as um, a role that supports the head coach and his staff, his technical staff, in achieving the goals of, of the physical performance side, of planning training sessions, of, of scheduling the week and the month and, you know, over the long course of, of a season. Now, not only uh, from a, a group, a collective standpoint, but from an individual standpoint where you're also supporting the head coach with individual players that may need extra work um, in on, their, on their performance. And, you know, we try to use as, as many tools as we have at our, at our, uh, at our on hand with the GPS and these type of things to, you know, make sure we're moving in the right direction. You know, so that's kind of, uh, I, I just feel like I'm, I'm here to support the head coach with, uh, with performance training and programming as, as, as he would like and just sort of try to be a, an, an expression of uh, what he's trying to achieve with the preparation of the team. And Sean, I know we're going to get into your resume a little bit, but when you arrive at a new team with a new club, how long do you think does it take you sort of to get the vibe or the energy or the feeling for the group? Because I'm sure each individual is slightly different in what you're trying to accomplish with the, within the team. Yeah, for, for sure. I think there's no two situations out of the same. I think the benefit that I have is, is just drawing on all the different experiences that I've had with, you know, different teams. And especially lately, the last, the last few years, I've really done some jumping around, whereas uh, the whole first part of my career was just with one organization. But even that said, if you're an institutional guy at one organization and they're bringing in head coaches all the time, then you're still just sort of trying to figure out, you know, where you can help and, and, and what they need, what they don't need, what they absolutely do want to hear, don't want to hear, don't need help with, do need help with. Uh, and it's just kind of trying to jump in and figure out the, you know, the nuances of what they're looking for. Okay, so let's get into the resume then, shall we, yeah. Sean? Have at it, by all means. Tell us your path and how you ended up at Minnesota United. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. It's been pretty long. I grew up in Arizona. Um, you know, played multiple sports. I think the one I was, you know, less horrible at was was soccer. So <laughs> the one I enjoyed the most. So continue with that. With that, the most went on to uh, study sports science at Arizona State University. Uh, where I worked with the strength conditioning program, really had a passion for it. Uh, got a master's degree at University of Kansas, did the same thing, working with multiple sports, even though, you know, my passion was always this sport. Had no idea that, you know, if you asked me then that this is where I would end up now, I said, I, I'm not even sure what you're talking about. And from there, just through a, a, a network of people that I knew, found myself with the opportunity to go to, uh, 
to Mexico and work with the first division club, which is Cruz Azul, which, which is, uh, you know, the, the one organization, which I really sort of cut my teeth in this, in this profession, learned a lot, saw so many, so many things in the years that I was there and, and really learned. I mean, uh, I, I clearly learned way more there than I did in any, you know, even a master's program or anything else. It's the day-to-day, it's the, you know, the actual nuts and bolts of, you know, training players, youth players, all the way up to first division players. And now, you know, having to, you know, draw on another language, which initially wasn't, wasn't there like it is now. Uh, but, you know, 23 years later, clearly uh, language skills are there, as are the skills of, you know, sort of understanding the sport, understanding uh, training stimuli, and just really the culture around uh, such a unique sport. Um, so <laughs> you, you had, you, you're talking very lightly there because you had 18 years on Cruz Azul. Um, right. that's, that's a ridiculous amount of time to spend at one football club. Before you went on to, to Pumas Unam, you went to uh, Lobos Barb, you went to uh, Mazatlan, you then went to Cyprus for a little bit, you then came back yeah. to the US uh, with uh, Phoenix Rising for a year before eventually ended up in, in Major League Soccer. So. Let, let's focus first and foremost on, on 18 years at Cruz Azul. Right. Um, life in Mexico City, how does an American from Arizona settle into life there? Yeah, it was, it was uh, at, at times I couldn't believe we were even on the same continent. And it, it was only, you know, a three hour flight from where I'm from, but it, it might have been, you know, the opposite side of the world, different language, different culture different everything it was you know more traffic than i'd ever seen in my life uh more hustle and bustle than i'd ever seen plus you know just learning the nuances of uh how to not only just how to communicate with the language but how to uh communicate on an interpersonal level there's things now this is something that you know all these years later i think about but i think about it now i i spent I've spent the majority of my adult life in Mexico. When you think of, you know, whatever you consider being adult, whether it's 18 or whether you know, your brain's fully developed at, at age 25, if we look at it in those terms, I've spent the majority of my adult life uh, in a foreign country. And now having come, come back, it's only been whatever, it's been almost two years, I guess, not even quite two years. And uh, it just, it's, it's, Sometimes it's bizarre to see how things have changed and how my perspective has changed just based on living a, a different culture for so many years. And I do try to sort of, you know, bridge the gap in my mind. Well, just remember, this is not there and, and, uh, and, and that's not how they do things there as there is not how they necessarily do things here. So it's been a learning experience uh, from a cultural level as well as, you know, with the sport. Now, being there for so many years, it's, it's funny because even through the years I was there, I would see players have players in as youth and saw them through to retirement after they became professionals, which is, which is pretty wild. Um, uh, you know, guys that are even you know, younger than I am are now retired players that I had as youth. It's, 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 it's pretty funny. But also, I was there so long and I could not possibly even give you a number of how many players I worked with, whether it was, you know, on a youth team or in the first division. And, and over the years, it was quite common. I would be out and someone would come up to me and say, Hey, you know, coach, oh, I can't believe it. Coach, it's good to see you. Hey, 
your picture's been so long. Hey, give me your number, this and that. And they'll kind of walk away. And, you know, if I, if I was with someone, they said, wow, who's that? I said, I have no idea. No idea who that was. <laughs> I can only I can only guess that it's, you know, uh, a, a kid that I had worked with at, a, at the probably at the youth level at Cruz Azul. But, but it happened so many times, you know, yelling, walking, guy yelling, hey, hey, Coach Sean, hey, it's great to see you guys. All right, yeah, good to see you too. Uh, again, yeah, who's that? Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> you know, the, the play, the number of players I worked with must be in the thousands at this point. I mean, if you consider, you know, how many different youth level teams and you know professional players that even have come through, and uh, it, it, it's wild to think about. But um, I did at, at one point. Uh, I did get to a point where I said, "Wow, is this? Am I just going to continue here my entire career, or is there?" you know, somewhere I need to take this, or am I just going to kind of, you know, ebb and flow with this organization, you know, forever? Well, about that time, a, a, a player that I had, again, a, a player that I uh, I knew when I first uh, started at Cruz Azul, a guy named Francisco Palencia, a very famous Mexican player, um, also played here in the MLS, played for Chivas USA. Um, when he uh, decided he was, you know, wanted to be a head coach, got a position at Pumas and he called me and invited me to be on a, his you know, coaching staff. Right. So this is, wow, this is, this is a real you know, different shift because it's one thing to be an institutional guy at an organization uh, where you know, you're just kind of just going to be there and try to work with whoever happens to be there at the time to then go to a coaching staff where the one thing I learned right away is that uh, as, as soon as you put that new, training gear on you're not sure how long you're going to wear it that's they've just loaned that out to you for the period that they want you to be there and you know the way things go in mexico that period is pretty short i mean we were fortunate we were uh at that organization for a year and a half but again <laughs> talk about short learning curve yeah i was able to draw on all the experience and knowledge i gained over the the previous years but now it was in a you know every week you're you know basically playing for your life you know type of thing as a coaching staff something i never experienced before sitting on the bench and and you're watching the result of the game and you say well this game may change my life for the next you know <laughs> number of weeks or months and it did we got to that point uh, coach was released had some you know a lot of positives something not some not so positive me personally and Profession, I should say. There, I um, I was able to put together a nice uh, strength training gym project for a new facility that they built there, and was very proud to, you know, basically leave there, leave something there, as I did with Cruz Azul, another gym project that I left there. Really big projects turned out fantastic. So, you know, I do feel like I left my mark on those organizations, you know, with those projects and. Again, like like you said, from there going to another situation which was completely different. Puma's well-established organization, Cruz Azul, well-established team, and then to go to a club that had uh, really played on the second tier in Mexico, which was Lobos Buap in Puebla, and we were hired to keep the team in the first division. That was it. So you know, where other teams are looking to win championships, make the playoffs, you know, advance keep this organization in the first division and by the way with the lowest um uh the lowest salaries you, you know on the books the lowest you know player personnel uh allotment on the books and now you're competing against you know Monterrey, Rayados, Cruz Azul, these other teams, América 
with whatever you know they've been able to sort of cobble together. But one of the best experience, professional experiences I've ever had. Very small staff, a, a staff that you know everyone was you know truly working together. And you know we ended up having some pretty good players and players that went on to you know bigger and better things. Uh, I will say though, I think we did our job a little too well because at the end the team stayed in first division and then was bought out by another organization to have the, the franchise rights to play in first division. So we basically we did such a good job. Uh, our our organization, our jobs were bought out by another organization. I'm like, wow, maybe I shouldn't have done such, you know, such <laughs> we shouldn't have done such a good job. But uh, pretty wild. It was completely unexpected. We thought we were going to continue on there for for quite a while. But uh, and unfortunately, that team doesn't exist anymore. So we uh, we closed it out. It was it was bought out, and we, that that uh, franchise now competes as uh, as Juarez uh, in the first division. So close the book on that and. You know, as this this career kind of goes, there there are lapses of months without without a job, without a team. I went through another one of those, and fortunately was uh, was uh, invited to go to a first division team in Cyprus. Which you know now we're I said, wow, now we're going to go another country here, and it was it was fantastic. The reason I went there, uh, there was a player I had at two teams in Mexico, a Spanish player who you know went through the Barcelona academy, now playing there. They asked me to come because they were doing a lot of changes within the organization. Wild story as well. I show up on a, I fly in on a Monday, started work on a Tuesday, and that started work on a Tuesday for you know my first match, which is a cup match on a Wednesday. So it's just step in and and just I've never had to hit the ground running so fast and so hard as I did with that organization. Cup match, uh, league match on the weekend cup match midweek a few more league matches you know all within a span of maybe six weeks and it was just boom, 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 like this and then covid everything shuts down you know go home go back to your apartment for a month and a half it was just it, it, it was one of the wildest things i'd ever been through in my life so on one hand i get this you know, great opportunity to go work in europe and and, and work with the team in Europe. And then next thing I'm sitting in an apartment, I'll tell you what though, if you're gonna be sitting in an apartment anywhere locked down like that, Cyprus, right on the coast, I highly recommend it if, uh, if you're ever <laughs> in that situation. With a view of the beach and the, you know, the ocean and everything, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't have been better to be, to be fair. <laughs> when you look then after that stint and, and as COVID endures and, and whatever else, how did you find yourself back in the United States? We can talk about Phoenix rising a little bit and then eventually yeah. find your way to MLS into Minnesota United specifically. So I said a, a very uncomfortable step that I took after that was, which was, um, you know, accepting uh, to go to Mazatlan, which is, which is now plays in the first division. Mazatlan as a, as an organization didn't exist until we went there. It was a, a team that moved from Morelia, uh, Monarcas Morelia. The owner took it to Mazatlan, and again the same uh, friend and coach, ex-player uh, Francisco Palencia, invited me uh, to go there. Um, even though I wasn't completely comfortable with it because it didn't, it wasn't well established. Again, just uh, out of loyalty and to continue to work with him, I went there. Uh, it did not work. That was probably that was one of the shortest jobs I'd ever had, just because results didn't come, and they had. They had their bar set really high, even though it was a team that had just moved. 
and uh, was only there about six months. So at that point, I had moved out of my apartment in Mexico. You know, I'd, I'd lived all those years in Mexico City. When I say Mexico, I mean Mexico City. I was now in Mazatlan. Nothing to do in Mazatlan at that point. I'm not going back to Mexico City. Don't have a job there either or a place to, to stay, by the way. So decided to go back to Arizona and just kind of take inventory and figure out, you know, am I going to continue doing this? Do I want to continue doing this with all the jumping around and, you know, even questioning myself, should, you know, should I have left an organization like Crusoe Should I have gone and done these other things? Obviously in hindsight, yes, clearly I should have, because that's just kind of part of life, I think, you know, and a professional life in this sport where there's going to be some, some movement. Um, and honestly, just, said yeah i think i do want to continue with this this because i'm so passionate about it i've, I've worked so long uh at it have learned so much i've developed sort of you know what my model is and the, and the way i work and I want to continue with it and just contacting the local usl team didn't know anyone there um and they were happy to have me go work with them uh, uh over the course of uh of last year i'm very happy to do it now obviously you know, a USL team doesn't have the same budget as, you know, first division teams, but, you know, that wasn't my main concern. My main concern is if I'm going to continue do, doing this, uh, I, I have to be active. I have to be, you know, day to day, um, you know, putting together training sessions, working with players. It's kind of like going to the gym. As soon as you, you know, stop going to the gym for a number of months, it's hard to get back into it. And I've been in that situation where I've been you know, months without a position, months without working with players or a team. And, and to get back into it, you know, it, it really takes a little bit. You really have to kind of get your fitness back. And, you know, I said, I, I just, I'll, I'll just stay fit, you know, meaning continue to work. And uh, we finished the season last year, got a call from, um, from Manny Lagos. It's pretty interesting because I had met Manny and, and, and a few of the staff members, I want to say it must have been 2015, 2016, somewhere around there. They did a preseason trip there. Uh, and they trained at uh, La Noria, which is where Cruz Azul uh, trains. And had a nice conversation with Manny. We exchanged, exchanged information. And it was kind of funny when he, you know, he called me last, whatever it was, November, December. Uh, on my phone and his name pops up. I'm like, why do I have this person's, you know, number registered? And I, I sat there, I thought it just took me a couple seconds. I go, uh, yes, I do remember. Yes, Manny, how are you? Great to hear from you. How's it going? Yeah, great. So got to talking, they invited me here and uh, we've uh, kind of decided to set out on this uh, this next adventure here in, in, uh, in Minnesota. Um Let's just go back a little bit then, Sean, because I, 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 there was one particular quote that you said that I found quite interesting. When you had made the switch from um, Cruz Azul and, and Pumas and the expectations with those teams, then going into a, a place like, uh, like Lobos Boab, how does that change things for you when you're all of a sudden you're towards the top end of, of Liga MX and you're, you're battling uh, for Apertura, Clausura titles? And now you're threatened with relegation. Does, does in, in your role, does that change training at all? And if so, how have you been able to bring those experiences to Minnesota? Yeah, I think the way, the way it changed with that specific organization, and, and this is just as a coaching staff in general, is we knew we had to have buy-in by the players. We knew we had to have buy-in. You know, because 
top end organizations, if they have the players, you know, for the most part, those players are going to, you know, get results. You know, they may have dips here and there, but, you know, it, ultimately it, it sort of shakes out with the, you know, the teams that have the best players tend to be sort of at the top of the top of the tier, top of the table. Well, here we knew we had a, a group of, uh, of a few veteran guys, Masa Rodriguez, if you've heard of him, is a very famous Mexican player towards the end of his career. Um, we had some young guys we brought in at the, at the time they had a rule where you had to play with, you had to play with youth players. They had to get youth minutes. And so we had, uh, I remember uh, one kid from America, one kid from somewhere else, one from over here. And we had to have full buy-in with these guys. If we didn't have full buy-in with them, we knew it just wasn't going to happen. It, it was, you know, they're going to go back to, uh, they're going to be relegated back to the, the lower division. And so on my end, I had to, you know, support the staff and get full buy-in and, get, and make sure that, you know, the players really believed in what we were doing, whether that was, you know, tactically, physically, the conditioning, everything else, and working with uh, uh, limited facilities. <laughs> I ended up, uh, we ended up having to do our strength training either outside, like on a, you know, on a, on a track, because the team is part of the local university there out on the track, or go to an off-site facility, basically, it was like a CrossFit gym that I was able to gain access to and we would have to go there in the afternoon. So, I mean, really just sort of adapting and adjusting, but getting the player buy-in was the most important. And I will note having the full support of the, of the general manager, very well-known uh, manager there, uh, Manolo La Puente, who coached the Mexican national team, uh, coached America, Puebla, many other teams. And, he was he was full in full support uh, on our side, and that that made all the difference. When you look then at that experience there, and then transitioning to Minnesota United, and Manny Lagos, you know, made the phone call to have you come and take a visit. Hopefully, you didn't visit in February because I don't know that you would have come here if you had visited Never. in February. <laughs> and you still chose to come. Right. Um, but what what would you say then when you arrive here to this staff, this facility, this player group, and back to this league, or I should say to this league, to MLS, yeah. what was the biggest benefit that you gained from all your experience that you were able to bring to this specific job in this league? I think I think a couple of things. I think one, just the fact, and you know, to be fair, I think one thing that helps is is being a you know veteran performance coach at this point. You know, I'm not it, it, to, to be fair, when I first went to work with Cruz Azul, I was, I was green. I was green. I mean, in every aspect of, of it. And, and, and I completely understand it now all these years later. I mean, I was green. I was just trying to learn, uh, you know, learn how to work within a sport that I truly love, but hadn't, you know, really worked in. So, you know, it was a great, great experience in that. But coming here, it's that is just to being able to project that you have expertise and knowledge and have been with a number of different different clubs, and 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 uh, the fact that we have a number of Latin players helps me quite a bit as well because I've worked with, you know, players that these guys know in clubs that they are familiar with, and you know, it just kind of brings uh, to me it just helps because, you know, helps them understand that yes, I've been around, I've been th been with a number of players over the years, number of teams, I'm here to help, I have the knowledge and. You know, I think they've they've gotten pretty good buy-in with that as well. Sean, I'm curious how your role has changed over the years. Then, 
Well, yeah, that's it's very interesting. Um, now, I don't know if it's it's just the role. Now, I am going to compare two different cultures and two different soccer cultures here. But uh, what I learned over the years is with conditioning, uh, with the performance training, that at this day and age and the philosophy of, of, of a lot of coaches that I've been with, you really have to blend both the sort of the technical training with the performance or physical conditioning. It's not, you know, at, at one point, I remember it would be extremely separate. It would be sort of, you know, the performance coach or the, you know, fitness coach would just sort of, you know, operate in a vacuum, do what they're going to do. And then it would, you know, whatever the, the, the training would pass over to the, to the, uh, to the technical coaches. Now there has to be, you know, a real blend and almost a, you almost have to blur the lines between what is the performance and the conditioning to what is technical tactical. And that's the one thing I've really just uh, really tried to put forth a lot of effort over the years in learning how to, okay, how do I develop a drill? How do I, how do I put together a drill that's going to lead the team into the next, you know, tactical phase of, of our training, right? Without it being so uh, divided without the conditioning being divided from the technical tactical and also realize if I was going to continue in this I had to become an expert at that it's not just you know getting players fit uh, for fitness sake or strong for you know for for strength sake or power whatever this is or or, or speed it's got to be related to the sport and not only that but even top end players they they started with they started with uh they started in this game because clearly had a passion for it or a talent or some combination thereof. They didn't get into the sport to uh, go to the gym necessarily or run necessarily. It was to play the game, right? So as much as you can have them play the game, touch the ball, uh, uh, do activities related to the, to the sport while they're gaining these benefits, uh, it, to me, that helps. That helps so much, and the fact that I've done it and just sort of developed a way to uh, to implement the ball in any type of training has helped me significantly. Because I know in this day and age, there really has to be a blurring of the lines, or or what I even call sort of a um, kind of masking the training. Right? You know, I said, oh, I got a nice little nice little fun drill for you guys here today, and it's with the ball, so it's going to be. You know, all good with the ball, and then it ends up being something you know pretty challenging. And and I always enjoy getting the comment, oh, "Okay, yeah, I see what you did there. I see what you did there." Kind of disguising the uh, you know the fitness the fitness part of what you were doing. I said, "Yeah, perfect. If you if you picked up on that, or if it was disguised enough, then 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 I did what I was trying to do there." Well, speaking of, I know you mentioned that Cal and I are at training quite a bit, and I know I've had conversations with you about oftentimes if you put a competition within a drill, it's like, yeah. it's like little kids. If you, have a, if you have a competition within it, how they can get their fitness in without even noticing that they're getting their fitness in. And then there's a more of a competitive fire. And then also, yes. how do you deal with some of the players that push back a little bit? Because I know when they get done with a hard day and you're like, you got to go in and do the gym yeah. stuff. And you get some of those veteran guys that are like, I don't want to do any more push-ups. I don't want to, you know, how do you, how do you get the most out of those guys and deal with some of those personalities? Yeah, I think the, the first step with the first step with that part and, and, and what I always have to remind myself and, and continue to try to be better at, it is 
is forming an individual relationship with each player, which isn't easy, right? Because you've got, you know, 20 something guys and to try to, and, 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 and they're not all super accessible, you know, and that maybe something people may not realize, but, you know, not all players are the same. Some guys are extremely accessible. Some guys are very closed off and just try to find, you know, something with them and say, you know, put your arm around them and say, Hey, I'm, yeah, I know oh, it's kind of, it's a bummer, but yeah, let's, you know, we got this, it's only going to be 20 minutes and somehow just get them in. It's only going to be, you know, even if it's going to last 30, it's, it's not going to be that long. It's just get it in, get it done. It just, you know, trying to form a personal relationship, trying to, you know, get that buy-in. That's, that, that's what you have to do because it's not easy. And I will say this, um, again, drawing on experiences. I worked with the coach once and we are at Crucis School working with the under 17s and later we worked with the under 20s. Uh, and this, this guy's dad was a very famous coach. And we got to the point and he would implement every single aspect of the training was a competition and we would sit in the office and even if it was a small sided game or whatever it happened even a rondo he would he would grade everything on points so we had you know teams everything was a point and at the end it was you know i get in in here in english they would call it you know butts up basically where you stand in the goal and get 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 shot on it was that every day uh, so that's, that's kind of one thing I took away from that experience for, so the better part of a year, maybe two years, every training was some type of competition based on points. And it just kind of got ingrained that this is really how you can help draw out the best and, and, and have those players put forth even, even more effort than they would have normally. Cause and to be, be fair, sometimes guys show up and they're, you know, whatever, they're just not always completely motivated you know, surprisingly to, to kind of the layman to think, well, it's their job. It's what they get paid for. Yeah, but they're also humans and they have personal lives and they have, you know, days where they may have more energy than others. And, you know, it's just from, from my end and running sessions, just try to get that, find the motivation, get their energy level up um, and, and get them as, as involved as possible. Um, let, let's move on, shall we, Sean? The subject at the moment is often comparison between Liga MX and Major League Soccer. All the experts at the moment are suggesting that Major League Soccer is now as close to Liga MX as it ever has been. You, you have experienced both firsthand. So realistically, wh where are we? What, what is the gap? How big or indeed how small is it between Liga MX and MLS now? It's funny. Obviously, a conversation I've had many times over the years i mean many i couldn't even count it but but from the perspective in mexico well you know uh i i there's been uh still sort of the idea and maybe it's a pride thing i don't know what it is or, or maybe it's just you know the fact that you know within mexico they think well the mls is inferior to liga mx i did probably a lot of it is a pride thing and some of it is probably you know at one point that was the case there's no question at one point that was the case at this point that is clearly not the case it's clearly not the case and there's you know plenty of teams in 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 the mls that are superior to most teams in liga mx now if you talk about those top tier liga mx teams uh they're going to compete with any mls team uh that you have out there the top teams i mean you know the guys that have the top players 
And I think it's quite clear when you watch when you watch the games. I mean, last night I watched Nashville go against America, and you, know, you have to understand it for for what it is. Both teams are concerned with their league result. You know, they're not they're not you know got, not going full board into these games, but you could see the competitiveness there, and it ended up in a three three draw. And and I think that's that's probably very indicative of where the leagues are in comparison there. I mean, they are neck and neck. Now, what, what are the differences? Differences I see, I think, um, just observing, I think it's maybe a little faster. MLS is a little faster than Liga MX. Uh, in Mexico, they tend to play, you know, sometimes a little more pause. They'll a little more possession based. They'll swing it back and forth. They don't mind going backwards. Uh, and that still exists to, 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 to quite an extent, which is, you know, I, I've also had this question, well, how come, how come some Mexican players come to the MLS and they're not successful, but they are successful in Mexico? Well, that's it right there. It's, it's a different style. And maybe, you know, the way those players are accustomed to playing, uh, uh, which is, you know, more of a Latin-based style or more of a Mexican-based league style, uh, doesn't help them here. You know, some players, I think it does plenty it doesn't and and you know that's that comparison is, is, is what I look at MLS is very physical very fast uh moving forward quite a bit and they're a little more possession based maybe they think uh uh in, in Liga MX teams maybe they're slightly more slightly more uh tactics based if you if you could say that um but you know, uh, those are kind of the main differences. But to be honest, I think the leagues are, are neck and neck. Now, I will say this, um, my experience now, you know, seeing MLS for the first time is the clubs are very well organized. I mean, there is an infrastructure to them, uh, uh, um, to me, superior than most clubs in Mexico, to be honest. Most clubs in Mexico, uh, one season or, or semester where things don't go well and everyone's out and now we're going to put in a whole new group of people and whoever comes in as you know sort of the sporting director or the the president of football operations whatever it is is going to get rid of everyone bring in all of his people uh, ownership hands change uh, quite frequently in a lot of those clubs in Mexico same thing so so you don't sort of have that consistency on a long-term basis you know with with a long-term project so to speak it, you know it's <laughs> You know, a long-term project there could be six months or, or, or 12 months and coaches in and coaches out. Uh, and that's one thing that the MLS definitely has over, over uh, Liga MX is, is sort of that consistency, the infrastructure, many beautiful stadiums. Uh, you know, Mexico may have some, some older stadiums, but, you know, and then on the other side, well, how come there's so many good players come out of Mexico or end up playing there? Well, I, I think there the, the 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 structure is set up to where you have the the youth academies at these at these big clubs, and they bring in a lot of kids, and they find the kids, and they develop them, uh, and they end up being first division, you know, first division players, national team players. Uh, something that you know here could probably do a better job. And I know it's different because you know here kids will will play on local clubs and maybe go to college and maybe turn pro you know, after that, but, you know, they're at, at 20, they know kind of where, where these players are going at 20, because you finish under twenties and now it's sort of either you go play on a second division team 
or you're going to stay with the first division team, but it's not easy because they're also bringing players from um, South America and other things that, you know, they're competing against, you know, big time, big time players to, to crack into the first division. So it, the dynamic is so different, but, you know, I also, I also think that the travel, the way the MLS does the travel, especially now with the uh, charter flights, I've been told the charter flights started sometime last year, that, that is huge because, you know, the player can, you know, players, the team basically rolls up and takes a charter flight. It's very comfortable, even though here the flights are longer, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel challenging or difficult because, you know, you're not going through security and, you know, uh, um, especially if you're a team and you're constantly flying in and out of, you know, these, these bigger airports in Mexico, uh, Mexico City. Well, now you're just, you know, they're just with the general public. So people coming up on photos, want, you know, this and that, and, 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 and the constant interaction with, you know, you know, people in the, uh, in the airport type of thing. Uh, I think that helps the, the MLS player quite a bit just to, you know, it, it, it makes it feel that much less stressful, the, the charter flights and, you know, the hotels are good. Everything is, everything is well, well planned and logistics very, very good. I know we're talking a little bit about closing the gap, possibly, you know, between Liga MX and MLS, but even when you've probably witnessed it firsthand in Mexico, when you saw sort of the men's national team, the U.S. men's national team versus the Mexican national team, and with the World Cup right around the corner here, how have you seen that dynamic change? And what was that environment like even being in Mexico as an American, but witnessing sort of the the swagger of the Mexican national team and their kind of dominance at, at times over the U.S. and now it's the tide has changed a little bit right well you know over the course of years i had to i had to go through it all right i had to hear ah, i would dominate here your national team and then and then when it flips over and there were a number of years when the u.s was dominating you know mexico and then i kind of got the uh, i held back quite a bit get get a few jabs in there but at the same time i'm working with some some guys that are on the mexican national team right you know guys that would come into cruz azul and maybe you know mexican national team but uh, yeah, I had to, I had to sort of, uh, uh, take the brunt of a lot of things, especially when the, the U S team wasn't doing quite as well as the Mexican national team. And, and there's an ebb and flow. And even right now it's an interesting situation because you have, I feel a very good player pool with the, with, with the Mexican national team, but they just, they basically just got rid of, uh, all the team directors, which seems crazy that you would do that in a world cup year. Um, you would think you're just a couple, you're just a few months away from the World Cup ending. You would think you'd want to carry, you know, carry this administration through until the World Cup ends. Uh, but no, get rid of it again. That's 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 the one thing I talk about with, you know, sort of a lack of consistency and and, and carrying things through. But you know, very good player pool with Mexico. There's no reason why they shouldn't uh, they shouldn't do well. But you know, you never know. No, um, you, you never know exactly with the Mexican national team as well. And, and the one thing that I want to get your opinion on here briefly, Sean, as well, is that uh, Tata Martino, the head coach of the Mexican national team, came out the other day and essentially said that Carlos Vela and Javier Hernandez will now have no role on the Mexican national team. I think that was met with mixed reaction, at least from the, the United States point of view, because we see them week in and week out. What was your view on, on that particular statement? Because Kendra and I spoke about this recently when, when Minnesota were playing LAFC, and we both said, look, I understand Carlos Vela is now 33, but he could still certainly offer something, as could Javier Hernandez. And, and I understand that 
Raul Jimenez is number one at the moment from, from Wolverhampton Wanderers. But if there is an injury issue with him and he doesn't make the World Cup roster, yeah. I, I struggle to believe that Javier Hernandez couldn't offer something off the bench for the last 10, 15 minutes. Am, am I wrong in saying that? You know, I, comple- I completely agree. And, you know, I had, I had the, the great opportunity since we had the, the All-Stars here uh, to have close contact with, with, with both of those guys, Bella and Chicharito. Great guys, by the way. Uh, I even had Carlos Vela's brother at uh, Alex at Cruz Azul for a number of years. So, uh, but, but, but yeah, I, I completely agree. And Raul Jimenez uh, having injury problems. Uh, I mean, to me, it's a no brainer. You would, you would want those guys now. My guess is they, they would be interested, but not only from a, a, a performance standpoint, but from an experience standpoint, right? These guys, you know, they have, I, I know it's not the same thing, but they, I mean, they've had great careers. They've, if I'm not mistaken, they both won the under 17 World Cup with Mexico. I mean, these, I mean, even from, from a young age, these guys have experienced the top tier. I mean, with, with the teams and the leagues that they've played in, uh, it, to me, it's just shocking that they wouldn't be seen as, as uh, very, very valuable assets for that, you know, for that national team. And I don't know. I just, uh, I can't explain that. It, it, to me, it would be a no-brainer. You would want, I would want those guys there, whether it's starting or whether it's on the bench, uh, because you do have younger guys. And to me, you need people in training on the field that are uh, that are able to guide sort of these younger players into where you're trying to get this organization to go, which is the Mexican national team. I, I mean, I, I love the way both those guys play, and to me, they should be on the on the top team. And, and I get the counter argument as well, as you mentioned with uh, Raúl Jiménez, with uh, Funes Mori at uh, Monterrey, uh, with Martin at Club America. Mexico aren't short yeah. of centre forwards, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I, I just think, in in my opinion, I just think somebody like Javier Hernández, if you need a goal, last 10, 15 minutes, you bring in somebody like him on, and instantly the opponent's thinking, "Oh dear, we've got something to, to deal with here." So, um, well, we'll, the same. absolutely, absolutely, we'll wait and see. That'll be a conversation that we continue to have, I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, over the course of the next few weeks. Um, let, let's start to, to transition to the end here then, shall we, and, and focus on Minnesota United. Um, question I've got for you now, you, you've had obviously a long time working with this group. In your opinion, who is the fittest Minnesota United player and why? I think it's impossible to say who the fittest are. I do have, you know, sort of, you know, a, a little inside knowledge, which is, uh, you know, what our GPS data says. And and, and what I see on a daily basis. And, and also the guys that I see coming in and, and even on days off, I mean, there's, we'll have a day off, not me, of course. Why would I have a day off? But uh, we'll have a day off. And there's, I have a group of guys that say, okay, we'll see you tomorrow. Or we'll see you on this, you know, whatever, whatever that next day off is. And they're there on a consistent level. And these are the guys that to me are, you know, I'm seeing as, as sort of the fittest. Now, a lot of it is position-based and that, but, you know, Franco Fragapane, I, I feel like he doesn't get tired. He just, uh, he's nonstop, and he's in a position where he's up and back, up and back, up and back, very dynamic. You know, our, uh, our, our last game, we, you know, in, uh, in Kansas City, I saw we were well above the 90th minute, and he's just pressing and pressing and pressing. And I was like, wow, you would think this was the first five minutes of the game the way he continues to press. Yeah, we needed that, but he had it in the tank still to be after the 90th minute, still pressing, pressing, pressing. And of course you got a guy like uh, DJ Taylor, who 
I have been completely impressed with the this entire year. I mean, just his, you know, the physical demands on that, you know, outside back position, not to mention the fact that they've asked him to play on both sides and he is up and back and up and back and he's very explosive, very dynamic and absolutely deserves uh, you know, to be the, to be the starter, like he, like, like he has been for basically the, the whole year. And you have a guy like Will Trapp, um, you know, in a position which tends to cover a lot of distance, not necessarily having to do, you know, a, a lot of sprints, but he's the one that covers the most distance consistently, uh, game in and game out. So his fitness level is top, top, top. And it, it's, it's no wonder these are guys that are doing the extra work and you see them in training and they are just pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. So, you know, on the back end of it, which is, which is game day, it's, it's just a reflection of what, of what they've been putting in uh, week after week and day after day, you know, with extra training and, and, and just the on-field training. Okay, Sean, um, final question for you then. We really appreciate the time here today. We, we'll let you get back to it. We know you, you're a very busy man. Um, Minnesota United then and the first year that, that you have been involved with the club. Number one, how would you recap the season? Um, and, and number two, given where Minnesota United find themselves at the moment and the run they're currently on with two games remaining, in, in your opinion, what defines a good season for Minnesota United? You know, whether it's Minnesota United or, or any other team, it's it's results based. This is professional sports. It's result results based. You know, it's not did the oh, well, we lost, but we, well, we played well. Maybe internally, that's something you can you know you can kind of look at. But ultimately, this is this is this is a results based business. And you know, at, at times we've had very good results. I I think this team deserves to be in the playoffs and deserves to go far in the playoffs. There's been you know, very few instances, uh, even at a loss where I, and I can, you know, kind of reflect the, the rest of the staff where we didn't believe we were in a game and that we were at no time have we been, you know, run over in a game, even if, you know, even if there's been a couple, you know, three nothing games, but uh, at no point uh, were we out of any game, you know, in terms of performance. So I feel very good about what we've done uh, throughout the year uh, I feel very good about how consistent the team has played, and I feel good about how we're gonna how we're gonna end. It's very nice to have a couple weeks where we get to kind of sit back and say, okay, we need to hit these last two games as hard as possible because that's the momentum that we're gonna carry into the playoffs and hopefully to the finals. So I feel I feel very good. Um, you know, the the players we have available are really in their top form right now. Wonderful. Um, our very special thanks to the head of sports science at Minnesota United, Sean Buckley, Kindred D. St. Aubin, as always, and our expert button presser, Grace Dearson. You've been listening to the Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopedics.